You're listening to The Exchange, and here's your host, Dr. Lorraine. Welcome, everybody, to The Exchange with Dr. Lorraine. I am so honored to have my guest, Dr. Eugene Wilson, president of Texas Bible College, who will be speaking to us today about the subject of leadership. Dr. Wilson, thank you so much for coming on the Exchange podcast. It's just an honor to be able to talk with you and pick your brain and ask you all of these questions that I have been dying to ask you and so many others. So we appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Dr. Lorraine. I am uh, looking forward to today. I love talking about leadership, so uh, we'll we'll have some fun, hopefully. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and this is I have read your book, Realign. And uh, when I got done reading this book, I thought I have got to have Dr. Wilson on my show because there's so many things that I want him to share. If you haven't read this book, you're going to want to read this book. But if you haven't, he's going to share some really great insights. But I do want you to start, Dr. Wilson, and just talking to us about yourself, about where you're from, your family, your education, ministry, and anything else that you want to share with us, anything that you, that's unique that our viewers or our listeners may not know about. Well, thank you. Um, well, I, I, I'm a Hoosier. I, I grew up in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little farm town of 2,000 people, and it's just now starting to grow. It's right north of Indianapolis, Indiana, and they've got like 700 new homes coming in, so it's it's beginning to grow. But my grandfather started a church there many years ago, and uh, he was the Sunday school director with the Napa Church for 27 years. And uh, I'm the oldest grandson, so we were just kind of raised around that area. My dad's from Georgia, first-generation Pentecostal. Met my mom at uh, Tupelo Bible College, uh, first-year student. My dad was uh, our, my dad was a first-year. My mom was a second-year student. Uh, they got married. He said he crossed over the Ohio River and uh, said he waved goodbye to the United States, and he's been living in a foreign land ever since. So <laughs> he doesn't. He fell in love with the North, but it took him decades to fall in love with the North. And uh, so when I was born, my dad uh, had just started a church in a little town called Tipton, Indiana. I was actually born. The hospital was in Nobisville, Indiana. Um, They're all kind of Nobisville, uh, Tipton, Sheridan was where I was uh, raised for most of my life. All My grandfather had started the church. All those towns are uh, near to each other, north of Indianapolis. And so um, this this is all I've ever known, uh, the church world. Uh, my great-grandfather started, I think it was five churches, or he helped start five churches in Indiana. He was a minister. Between my wife and I, um, last time we counted, we were at 27. We need to recount the 27 yes. um, ministers in our family. Wow. But, uh, now there's my kids have entered into the ministry, so we need to go back and add to the number. Um, but anyway, we're very, very blessed So um, and, and thankful for my heritage. Now, my dad's side, they were heathens. Uh, they, they were, it was bad, 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 bad people. My grandfather made moonshine when it was illegal to make moonshine. Uh, one of my dad's uncles uh, shot and killed his brother-in-law uh, one night. They were having, they had parties every weekend. He was drunk, got upset at the noise and shot and killed him. Just crazy stuff. My mom's side of the family, uh, like the Hatfield and McCoys, my mom's side of the family, they were, uh, they actually were God-fearing people and, um, and many of them apostolics. And my wife. Um, my father-in-law is, uh, his name's Simeon Young, and he was the editor of the Pentecostal at the time, Pentecostal Herald for many, many years, pastored in, in Terre Haute, Indiana for 
decades and close to 35 years. And so I met my wife at um, youth camps uh, in Indiana. I, but let me back up. I met her, I had her sign her name on a piece of paper and I knew who she was. She did not know who I was. And uh, so it was later after I went to Bible college in Jackson, um, I went to a conference. I knew her brother. We played basketball on the basketball course at campground in Indiana. And then he invited me to go out to eat with him and his sister. I met my wife and uh, she thought I was a nerd. And uh, she was right. <laughs> she was right about that. And so um, some years later, I, I, I'm out of school. I come back home. I ended up, um, my wife and I had developed this friendship. And then we started dating. Mm-hmm. And uh, next thing you know, uh, we're married. And uh, about three years later, uh, we felt led to move. And uh, I pastored in East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And that's where I fell in love with fly fishing. And so I love to fish. grew up fishing these little ponds. But I fell in love with fly fishing. So I have fly fished uh, Alaska. Uh, I just did my seventh trip in a row to Alaska. Then about nine times I hike. I love chasing trout. Um, it's a big hobby. I've fished all over the United States in the spring. Uh, Lord willing, the plans are I'm headed to Chile. Okay. It'll be my second trip oh. to Chile. But I'm going to I fly fish in Chile before. But this time I'm going to go down to the Patagonian and spend about a week fly fishing in Patagonia. So it's a dream trip. Uh, and so um, anyway, I could go on and on about that. But while I was in, let me just tell you real sure. quickly about um, ministry and, and some things that I experienced. While I was pastor in East Tennessee, I um, I lived in the church. It was a small home missions church. Uh, there's a lot of stories there. I, I could take a whole hour telling some of the stories. And, uh, but I, I just did what I knew to do based off of what, how I had been raised. And my father had always pastored a smaller church. And, um, and so I'm in a smaller church. I, I had lived in a church when I was a baby. I don't remember it, but mom and dad for a while moved into a church because they started the church and they moved in to help make the church know. So I'm married. My son is born. He's just turned 20. He's getting ready to turn 27. So we're talking 26 years ago. Mm-hmm. I moved into the church. And uh, about 25 years ago, so he was maybe 24. He was a little baby. He was a couple of years old. And I moved in the church to help the church make its note. And one day I came home from church on a Sunday afternoon. I was so mad. I was mad at everybody. And uh, I'm a very patient person, but I can get aggravated. And I was aggravated. And I was like, all I want to do is train leaders. You know, this is frustrating. I'm, we're not getting anywhere and uh, I'm fussing with, with the, and I didn't realize I was even talking to the Lord. I was pushing the lawnmower. And mm-hmm. I, I don't have to be here. I don't have to do this. I just want to train leaders. And the Lord spoke to me, he said, train them. Mm. And, uh, I didn't say, yes, Lord, thy servant heareth, you know, this <laughs> God moment. I did the opposite. And uh, Dr. Lorraine, I, I actually said, yeah, right. Like we've got four or five leaders to train. I was like really ticked. And, um, uh, the Lord spoke to me. He said, if you'll be faithful with a little, I'll give you much. And so um, I had no idea at that time that um, I would write books, that I would become a president of a college, that I would travel, speak, teach leaders around the world. Uh, I had no idea, no idea that I would sit in a little room of about 20 people in a country that, uh, you don't have the freedom that we have. Mm-hmm. And as I'm teaching, a leader 
and sitting there and I'm like, who is that guy? He just stood out. Mm-hmm. He was tall and most of the, the men are not tall in this nation. And uh, I said something to my host and I said, that guy over there, he goes, the, the guy looks like a farmer. I said, yeah, the guy looks like a farmer. He said, well, he's the closest thing to a modern day apostle Paul that I know of. He said he pastors 18 churches. Mm-hmm. He pastors 18,000 people. And he's sitting there in this room on, for a two day leadership training. And so uh, the Lord was true to his word. Uh, if I'd be faithful to little, he would give much. And I could go on and on about the leadership things. I don't get to tell the stories a lot. I don't say it. I say it more in smaller settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just amazing to me. And so very, very thankful. So that's just a little bit of a brief um, history of my life. And um, anyway, I, I left from pastoring in East Tennessee, moved to Memphis, became family pastor, served for nine years. Mm-hmm. And that's where I went back to school. And so uh, I pursued a, um, a a master's in human relations. And then uh, I wanted to pursue my doctorate. And I was uncertain what to do. I didn't know I would do ministry, counseling, leadership. And I really, for about a year while I was working on my master's, I was like, what am I going to do? And I called a friend of mine up. It's Jason Gallion, And he's a good friend of mine. He's vice president at IBC. We've been fishing together for decades, uh, taking the family vacations together. Very, very close. And he said, Eugene, he said, turn around and look at the books on your shelf. I turn around, I'm in my office and I'm just turning around looking at books. And he says, tell me how many books you have on counseling and how many books do you have on leadership? And I turned around, I had like a shelf or two of counseling books. Every single one of them I bought because I was a student and I had to buy them. Mm-hmm. All of my leadership books, I hadn't studied the subject of leadership in an academic setting. And um, I had shelves full of them. They outnumbered my counseling books, at least 10 to one. <laughs> I just started laughing. I said, yeah, I said, leadership is it. And so that was a fulfillment of really what was in my heart is just trying to, you know, morph your way there. And so that's a little bit of brief uh, uh, history of where I came from, what I've done. And um, from there, uh, I moved on transition to, t- to Texas, mm-hmm. ended up in Katy uh, by invitation to come be executive pastor and then from Katy to uh, Lufkin, Texas, where I serve as uh, uh, the president of Texas Bible College. And I travel a lot. So I still mm-hmm. base out of, uh, of Katy, still there, but I'm not there. It's kind of like I'm gone so much. And uh, anyway, it's, it's been a great journey. Very, very thankful. I feel like I'm just getting started, but I'm getting ready to turn 57. So I know that um, if I'm just getting started, um, <laughs> it doesn't, just doesn't add up with the math. <laughs> I'm doing everything I can to make a difference. Well, I wanted to ask you about your kids because um, your son, Cade, just got married recently. And yes. to Larissa and Larissa, she was at Urshan College when yes. I was at Urshan Graduate School. And I know that she's doing Urshan Graduate School or she's done with Urshan Graduate School. I'm not sure what that timeline is there. And then is it your daughter is going to be getting, she hasn't gotten married yet. Has she? Oh, we're, no, we're right there at it. We're right okay. there. At it. So uh, Cade um, and Larissa got married on June the 2nd and my okay. daughter gets married September the 2nd. So by the time this um, airs, she's probably married because we're talking about uh, two weeks from today. Wow. And, uh, and so my wife and I have laughed uh, about, fact that we've had in our scattered nest the last two years because I live in RV uh, most of the week when I'm in Lufkin two hour 
uh, plus commute, about two hours and 15, 20 minutes commute. And I'm up there um, during the week, back on the weekends. But I think this year I've gone 30 Sundays this year. And wow. so I'm, I'm traveling all the time. And so it's scattered. But now I think it's going to be empty, the empty nest. And um, but it's it's wonderful. Our daughter lives in Lufkin. Uh, okay. She's married. He's the National Guard graduate of TBC. My daughter mm-hmm. uh, did two years at Urshan online and then did the last two years at TBC in a counseling program. And so um, she's nearby. And my son, uh, Cade, is a full-time band director in Katie. So when we're here on the weekends and Katie, we get to see uh, he and Larissa. And she's almost done with her um, master's in theological studies. She graduates this next spring. I think she finishes at Christmas, if I remember right. And my son is about a year away from graduating with his master's of divinity. And so um, he's got his doctorate all planned out and he can talk about all of the details of it maybe you can interview him someday he <laughs> loves he's in this stuff that i would never ever think of but he's smarter than his dad uh, his, he and larissa both it's pretty they make a match they're brainiacs that's and, really cool they're they're the power couple the power brainiac couple that's good, that's good. <laughs> we're thankful you know my wife and i because my wife went back I think she's getting the doctorate, same thing that you have your doctorate in, mm-hmm. and uh, pastoral care and counseling from Liberty. And uh, I think she's doing a doctor of education. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but she uh, she's doing that as an adult learner, you know, and I did as an adult learner. So I think all of that had an impact on her kids. So my daughter's going to go get, get her master's. My son's got his doctorate all planned out. And uh, I'm thankful. I wish I would have done that when I was younger. Maybe I would write more books. <laughs> Started earlier. Although Peter Drucker, he was like a leadership and management guru. They say he wrote um, he wrote the vast majority of his books um, after turning the age of 65 years old. He wrote over two thirds, over two thirds after he was 65. And uh, he actually wrote 27 books after he turned 65. So I hope I get to do that. Yeah, there's still hope. There's still hope. Absolutely. Still hope. I'd like to write that many. I need I need a trout stream, a cabin up in the mountains, and a little bit of quiet time so I can write. That would be fun. <laughs> it's a little writer's retreat. Yes. As hot as it is right now in Texas, I wouldn't oh. mind that happening right now. Days oh. after days of 100 plus temperature. I'm tired of it. Oh, goodness. I'm in Southern Arizona, so I'm with you there. We don't have as much humidity, but it's still pretty bone-drying heat. So, yes. <laughs> a lot going on. All of our listeners that are listening that don't have a, any idea of what we're talking about, you're blessed. But we'll yes. take our winners over your over your winners. <laughs> Absolutely. And the snow. I, I'm okay with not seeing the snow or, or, or having to take or try to find somebody to take the snow and the ice off of my windshield. That was yes, not the you. fun part of winter. That's for sure. I'm with you. Um, so I, yeah, we just talked about your family. So congratulations on both of your children being married by the end of the summer. That's, that's an amazing, incredible having it happen in such a short time. Um, so, um, and that's going to be a great transition or different transition for you and your wife, but yes. you guys are both very busy. Like you said, you're traveling a lot and you both work at TBC. You are the president and your wife is, uh, she is the, uh, the chair Thank of you. counseling, the counseling, Christian counseling program. Yes, ma'am. 
So that has life very busy. And uh, there's, I was just mentioning to you before the podcast that uh, TBC has some amazing instructors this year. So very excited for the direction that the school is going. Um, so I wanted to just segue and kind of go into um, my next question for you. And uh, you have written several books on leadership, but I wanted to focus basically on Realign, um, which is one of the books, as we mentioned, um, and the courses that is required for licensing, I believe it's the general licensing on Ministry Central. So I wanted to, I know that you have gone through your Doctor of Strategical Dis- Leadership, um, but where did the idea for this particular book come from, Realign? Thank you. Um, so back to pastoring. I'm, I'm in East Tennessee mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very small congregation and I'm trying to move things forward. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I look back on things that I did. And I so wish I could go back and relive some of it. I spent a lot of time focusing on things that in the bigger spectrum of, of things, they would have been uh, way down the list of, of top priorities. And yet I was so fixated with it. And so I knew that, you know, I had to preach, I had to teach, I had to pay the bills. I had to clean the church. I had to mow the yard. I mean, it's a small congregation. I'm doing a lot of trying to raise up leaders. I knew I had to do all those things. And yet it was like, at the same time that I'm doing that, I'm wondering, what am I really supposed to be doing? Where, where do I go? How, how do I move things forward? So I just wrote a book to be released um, this fall, uh, I think at General Conference. Uh, it's my first attempt to write a, a leadership fable. It's one of those books where it's kind of like, you know, John and uh, Jack and Jill went up the hill, you know, <laughs> and Jack fell down and Spock came running after and he knocked the ball down the hill and went chasing the ball. I mean, it's just like, it's just as basic <laughs> as all get out. And so uh, we'll see, you know, I sent it into the uh, Coastal Publishing House and they said, yeah, we can work with this. We can make this happen. But I'm like, I've never written in this style of my life. <laughs> and uh, I, I like, like Patrick Lencioni, he, he writes leadership books. It's a secular writer dealing with uh, leadership and companies. And I love reading his books because they're fables. Some people don't like fables. I love them because it helps me process uh, the principle. It helps me grab a hold of it. And my doctorate is an applied degree. So I'm always looking at what, you know, the research of a PhD, I need to be able to read it, understand it and ascertain from it uh, the practical things and how to apply that at different levels, whether it be a, a senior level of leadership or whether it be a, you know, a lower level of leadership entry level. And so my doctorate is, is being able to understand all those things and apply it. Well, I'm, I'm this young pastor and I'm trying to find these things and find how to apply it. Um, I, I play music. Uh, I'm not great. Uh, I, I started my son and then he went on and, went to another level, but I was like, I can play that bass if I can understand the basics. I can play the keyboard if I can understand, oh, a one goes to a four, you know, it goes to a five chord, five can go to two, two to a minor six, you know, I I get all that, but I had to understand that first. And if I could understand those principles and that process, then I could take it and and just make all kinds of things happen. And so it was the same thing in pastoring. I'm, I'm trying to understand what are the the essentials. And so I moved from East Tennessee after being there seven years, and I step in as family pastor, and we have 150 young marrieds. Um, I served uh, at the time as an interim uh, youth pastor, and that was another 150. So I go from a church of, you know, 
35, 40, our highest average, I think it was like 45 or so. By the time I left, it had dwindled back down again, and, and we had let people know that we were going to be leaving, and people had moved on, and there was very little left by the time I left from there. But I went from a church of, you know, say 30, the 35, the average, to all of a sudden now I'm responsible for leading 300 people. I'm responsible for making the phone calls. And where are you at on Sunday? And the pastor was very empowered in the fact that, hey, um, Pastor Wilson, um, you pastor one of the largest churches here in the state. You pastor 300 people. You pastor 150 people. I mean, it's your responsibility. And he was just, he was very, very empowering. Mm -hmm. And so, while I'm there, I'm just observing things and I'm watching and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm seeing systems and I'm seeing structure and I'm seeing how uh, the, the value of ministry covenants or job descriptions and I'm seeing the importance of evaluations. I've never been exposed to any of this in my life until this moment. And so I go back to school and I pursue my master's in, at the time, human uh, relations was a counseling degree program. And um, I, I lack 18 credits and I could have had my LPC. And so I decided, no, I'm, I'm done with that. And I moved <laughs> on to my doctoral leadership. And so I'm going back to school and I'm studying all this. And I'll never forget this moment. Uh, this The senior pastor, I've been there maybe three and a half, four years. And uh, I could take you to the place in the parking lot where we were sitting when he mm -hmm. asked me the question. He said, uh, he said, well, Wilson, he said, what are the four or five things? that you have picked up from being here that you think that everyone needs to know essentials, just some principles. And he said, uh, let, let me know sometime when you think about it, let me know. And I went, Oh, I have an answer right now. <laughs> and I went one, two, three, four, five. And he, and I actually, I did four and he goes, well, you, you need to add this one. And he added a fifth one. And I said, yes, I said, I, I should have had that one. Cause I, I, I think about that. Well, when I got around to completing my doctorate, I had to write the book, Realign. Mm -hmm. And I basically wrote on those five key principles. And the book that I just wrote in the fable basically is those five key principles. Now, the way they're worded, the way, you know, the way they're seen, okay, they're coming from different perspectives. But the core of that, I understand that it stems from, from going back to being this pastor who had a need and I'm looking at my peers and I'm looking at my relatives. And I'm looking at great people, people who were entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. but couldn't take it beyond 60 people struggled and moved it beyond 50 people struggled, moving beyond 80 people, nothing against them. I highly, highly honor them, but never have been exposed to the skill set that moves beyond the entrepreneur stage. And, um, that grabbed a hold of me and it still has a hold of me. So I, 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 I see that it's easy to see now back then. It was not easy to see. I was stumbling everywhere trying to find it and I see it now. And so that's really what the book of a realign is about. And, um, and so the wording of that goes back to that. I don't think we're really aligned with our purpose. Right. Especially for fivefold ministry. And I hear a lot of debates over who's in charge of who, and I had some like the apostles in charge of the prophet, the prophets in charge of the pastor. And, and people would like get in these crazy debates. No, it's the pastor's number one. And they were like, no, first apostles, then prophets. And then other people are like, the apostles and prophets was back at the very beginning. They're no longer uh, relevant nowadays. Uh, it's the pastor. And I'm like, I go back and I read Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And I'm like, there's no debate. It's not really about who's in charge of who. There's really not a whole lot said 
in those verses that would give an impression that, okay, here's the different skill sets or mm-hmm. the callings of these different ministries. Instead, the focus is, is on equipping people. The fivefold ministry is given right. for the equipping of the saints for, and I believe when you look at it closely, for their work of ministry, mm-hmm. not putting them in place so they can go fulfill my vision, but what has God called you to do? And mm-hmm. I was seeing that lived out at a church that was growing exponentially. And um, it was just, it was fun to be a part of. It was an incredible experience. And I'm seeing all that. I'm going like, this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. And so that's realigned. Well, I, <laughs> I love that, that you just saw that there was a need. You saw that there was something that was going around you and realizing, you know what, I've gotten, I've learned these things through my education and just through observation, like, okay, you know, these are the things that maybe I can write down and, and use and, and help people to go beyond that 60, that, that number that maybe people are pushing through. So um, I love that this is like, okay, this was a need. And so you were able to uh, fulfill that need by writing it down so that you can also help other people with that. So I wanted to ask, um, come in and ask, what is your personal theology or your biblical definition of leadership? So what is that basic oh, thing to you? Love it. So I borrow from Richard and Henry Blackaby, yeah, their book on spiritual leadership. They, in essence, say that spiritual leadership is influencing people away from self-agenda towards God's agenda. Mm-hmm. And I love that definition. My other favorite definition, that's not a spiritual definition, but it comes from Peter Northhouse, um, in essence, says that uh, leadership is influencing people um, to orbit or to align with, to reach for the common purpose. It's the process. He actually says, "Is the process whereby an individual influences others towards a common purpose. And so um, when I look at that and I see uh, Ephesians 4.11, that the fivefold ministry is given for the equipping of the saints for their work of ministry, then I, I see all that wrapped up in it. We're, we are influencers. And we're doing everything we can to influence people towards oh. God's agenda. And so um, I, I think there are well over 200 different definitions for leadership. Um, I just love leader. Maxwell said leadership is influence. And it's true. Mm-hmm. But um, That's the simplest definition. But there's a little bit more to it. You know, it does involve and I love involving the word common purpose or the, you know, which be for us, it is the pursuit of the kingdom. That should be the common purpose for us as Christians, uh, the kingdom, the kingdom agenda, and, and definitely away from self agenda, which means that uh, not only do we have to talk about it as leaders and, and write about it for writers and, and uh, herald it, but we also have to live it. And uh, we lead a lot by example because it's influence. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There is a lot of different um different definitions because you have people that are secular and you have people that are uh, are doing things for the kingdom but understanding that it is influence that it is about getting people together to uh, work towards the common goal of the kingdom so i like those examples that you kind of gave of of what your kind of principle or solid core definition of with leadership, which comes from a lot of different places. Um, But I wanted to go into, and I specifically said on page 25 of your book, you talk about how we have misunderstood our purpose in leadership. And I just wanted to know if you can explain how some leaders can misunderstand their purpose in a leadership setting. 
Yeah, uh, I pr I'm primarily coming from the angle of looking at um, a church leadership, and I'm thinking of the fivefold ministry for the most part, and that we we tend to be focused on building churches. Mm -hmm. So in my third book, I write about uh, leading growth. And so we're we're focused on building churches, having revival, uh, growing the the church body. And yet, when I look in scripture, um, scripture is really really clear that uh, the Lord builds the church. He's the one who adds daily to the church. He's the one who saves. He's the one who fills. And so our job is not really about building the church as much as it is building people. And so mm -hmm. we are equippers. We are growing. And so when you talk about um, all the different models of leadership. You've got a lot of people in the in the Christian world would say, well, it's servant leadership, servant leadership. But if you look closely in scripture, Jesus wasn't just a servant leader. He was a charismatic leader. He was authoritarian at times. Mm -hmm. uh, very clear when he says, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> I mean, he's authoritarian. That's pretty, that's pretty direct. Uh, he was a, a parental leader. Um, he was a transactional leader. I mean, just all these different leadership styles. And I would maintain he was also a transformational leader uh, because the difference between a charismatic and a servant and a, a charismatic leader, uh, the difference between that is one of motives. And so when you talk about being a charismatic leader, the motive is you. It doesn't mean that it's it's not necessarily bad or good. It's just that it's your vision. It's your plan. It, you are the one. It's it's all built around your influence. And so um, Adolf Hitler was a charismatic leader. Unfortunately, he was a bad charismatic leader. Uh, there have been some who have been good charismatic leaders because they want to accomplish good things. But it's still it's you. Uh, a servant leader, um, the motivation is that of others. And so the others, there is their need, it's their desires, it's very much about others. But but for us as as followers of Christ, Paul said it well. He said, I don't serve you, I serve him. Mm -hmm. uh, I get my marching orders from God. I don't get them from you. Uh, one of the problems we have in leadership, and I see this happening today, is they have weak leaders who are driven by the needs of people. And God never wanted us to be driven by the needs of people. Jesus himself walked away from needs because he was so in tune with the voice of the Father. We as leaders need to be doing the same thing. We need to be in tune with the voice of the Father. That does not mean that we can go back, well, God told me such and such, and we don't serve people, and we don't get involved. That doesn't mean that at all. We have to serve. We're supposed to serve. But our serving others actually comes from our serving him. Mm. Our directive comes from him. And so a transformational leader uh, the motive of a transformational leader is the organization. And for us, the organization isn't the local church body. It's the kingdom. It's, yes. it's his kingdom. That is the motive. That's our central uh, motivation. Uh, if you say motivation, it's, it's the center of what we are doing, what we are orbiting around. And so at Texas Bible College, we have somewhat coined a term for us. We call it transformational servant leader. And the difference between a transformation of servant leadership is sometimes difficult to see because they're very similar. They do serve, but it's all about the motivation. And transformational is alignment with, the with I would say, for the church, the kingdom principle and uh, the kingdom being the center, whereas the other people are the center. And so uh, when you take that and you apply it to leaders of of, of, of all stages. Um, it could be a youth leader. It could be someone in ministry. It could be doing what you're doing. You can raise up an entire uh, organization, nonprofit organization, where you are training people and, and equipping people in all different facets. Well, 
it, it goes back to those key principles is that what I'm really trying to do is that I'm not trying to be a charismatic leader. I'm not necessarily just trying to be a servant leader, but I've got a kingdom agenda. I'm aligned with it. I'm trying to influence others. And doing so, I do serve people, but my servant goes back to the Lord, getting the orders from him. And um, and then I, in doing all of that, what I become is I become a quipper. I'm mm-hmm. equipping people. You are equipping people with this podcast. You mm-hmm. are attempting to equip people. And so from that standpoint, we're functioning and operating as biblical leaders as opposed to trying to get people, oh, I need this position over here filled. Oh, I need this position over here filled. And we're looking for someone who breathes, who is willing to take the job. And we plug, you know, round pegs into square holes, trying to make it all work because we, we're driven by this thing that we're trying to accomplish so we can grow something. And um, I'm saying, no, if we'll take care of people and grow people, then everything that we're trying to build, God will cause it to flourish. And he did that with the church. We have a perfect example. So I think some more misunderstanding of some of these things. Uh, and I'm tr- and I'm writing, I'm talking, I'm passionate about it, as you can mm-hmm. uh, see and, and hear. And uh, because when I when people see this and begin to run with it, it makes the, a world of difference. I mean, churches right. can thrive, ministries can thrive, uh, excitement in, in, in our lives and uh, that, you know, that urge to get up in the early in the morning and, and hit the ground running because we're making a difference. And uh, it's fun. It's fun. This yes. is fun. Yes, it is. It is. It is fun. I, I definitely believe that when you get catch that vision, like you said, sometimes I think too that we think that when we're serving people, we're serving God. And that is to an extent, but it's like we serve God and then through our our um, commitment and our relationship with God, then, you know, that allows us to serve people. But sometimes I think it's the other way around. If I'm not right, we correct that we try to serve people and thinking that's serving God. Well, it is to the extent, but, but we have to serve God first. Our main focus has to be the kingdom and what is the big picture. And then through that, then we are also serving and, and motivating, but kind of like real aligning Amen. with the big picture or Amen. the purpose giver or the, the purpose giver, the dream giver, the order giver, or yeah. the or, or having and then, and then that also goes that. That's kind of how I've been thinking about that, especially after reading your book of kind of thinking about, okay, this is maybe going the wrong place of thinking like we want to please people. And we do. We want we want to treat people right. We want to love people, but we're not understanding where the source is coming from. Uh-huh. The source isn't coming from the right place. The source has to come from the right place, and then it'll yes. be better. Yes, yes. I'm hearing my an echo. I love it. This is what I say all the time. I just I'm I made up with it. I believe it. And thank you for articulating it so well. Mm-hmm. Thank you to all of our listeners on the Exchange with Dr. Lorraine podcast. This is where we are ending our part one of our interview with Dr. Eugene Wilson. Please stay tuned for the second part of this incredible episode coming next week. God bless.